Before we get to our guest, a quick message from our sponsor. We've had the COVID virus, and now we have the monkeypox virus. And we found out that a month or two before each of them, there were simulations of how they might be spread upon the world. What do our globalist masters have in store for us next? You can be sure there's something. But what can you do about it? The best thing you can do is to keep your immune system resistant, resilient, and clean. You can do that by going to zstacklife.com. Dr. Zelenko has developed a system, a protocol supplement system that has saved thousands of patients that he treated with very few hospitalizations. You can go to zstacklife.com and get the ZStack protocol. You can get the protocol for children and the detox formula. If you go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CDM, you can get a 5% discount for off all of the products. So keep your immune system healthy as we wait for the next virus to come down the pike. Go to promo to go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CDM for a 5% discount. And now let's get to our guest. So today on American Conversations, we have Dr. Elena Fishbane, who is from, uh, who's a founder of the No Left Turn movement. And Elena, w- welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We are No Left Turn in Education. Our no focus left- on K to 12. Right. And so, Alana, this was two years ago, you, you, you became morally outraged what was happening in the schools about CRT, critical race theory, no matter what the name is called, and also the, the sex indoctrination in Pennsylvania. And when you founded this organization, you were focusing on your local school boards and the education of the children. But now you have grown into a movement. How many states is, is your uh, No Left Turn in Education in right now? We are now in 26 states, and in many states, we have multiple chapters. So yeah, we have grown very rapidly from being uh, local in my school district in Pennsylvania, and in no time, uh, we became very well known across the country, and people has been, have been joining us. So one of the reasons why we wanted to have you back on was to talk about the $44 billion that was sent from the federal government, that was sent into the the, uh, school districts in America to basically push the critical race theory, no matter what the name of the program is, because there's different names. But let's just remind some of the the audience about the different names for critical race theory. You know, uh, the argument uh, that still goes on is uh, are they teaching CRT? They're not teaching CRT. And this is really uh, semantic because they are trying to argue this is something uh, that is being taught in law schools uh, across the country, in many universities and colleges. However, uh, what we are facing is the application of that theory into our schools in K-12. Some of the names, the most popular name is uh, the acronym DI, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. However, in the school, the public school my kids attended, they called it cultural proficiency. In the case of the mother that I helped uh, sue uh, the school, the charter school in Nevada, they called it sociology of change. So this really comes under multiple names. In fact, the first year I started developing a lexicon of all those terms that are being used in order to deceive parents. So Mm -hmm. everything sounds so nice and it's not academic, like critical race theory and CRT. And in the first year I came up with over 130 different acronyms and synonyms uh, for this uh, implementation of this uh, ideology, a Marxist ideology. But I stopped 
because, and they're on our website, by the way, but I stopped because it kept uh, morphing and growing and growing uh, in such a speed that it's impossible to keep up with. Therefore, with my uh, activities, I do not focus on the argument, is it CRT, it's not CRT, is DI, if this is cultural proficiency. I focus about looking at the content of what they are teaching and determining, is this is right or this is wrong? And so I don't care what they call it. So let's talk about when you when you examine the, the evidence, okay, of what's being taught in the school. Do you, do you see the patterns across the board, though, in terms of, it may be a different name, but the application of the CRT overall is pretty much the same? Completely. <clears throat> Another reason for that, that it's really consistent across the board, it doesn't matter if you're a red state, blue state, red area, blue area, it's very consistent because there are enormous number of organizations that are pushing this kind of material. Uh, uh, the Poverty Law Center, uh, you know, um, teaching tolerance. And so there are a lot of big organizations, but in, the, in addition, there are a lot of small organizations that popping up like mushrooms after the rain and uh, producing this material and providing this kind of training. So it's not only Abraham X. Candy or Robin D'Angelo, there is a whole growing list by the day of organizations that are pushing their materials. So the material of uh, teaching tolerance, you can find it in California, but you can find it also in Missouri, and you can find it also in Florida. Uh, so that's why it's really consistent, even if they call it a little bit different, and they're the same trainers, the same material, and a lot of it also is online. And because it's online, it's also very accessible uh, across the country to many uh, school board and um, schools. So what happens if a county school board wants to push back and say, no, we don't want that in our public schools? Do they lose money from the state budgets for education from the state department of education? They could because <clears throat> uh, a lot of this funding many times tied up uh, with condition of implementing uh, a certain policies coming from the federal government and coming also from the state government. And you know, one important thing to understand that the money is really many times infungible. It's, uh, it's the same money that now was supposed to go from the federal government to uh, opening schools and to supporting schools uh, to deal with the COVID, ending up going to uh, implementing CRT activities and teaching. Uh, and training for teachers because the money is fungible. Once it gets to the school under the disguise or whatever, and there are conditions to accepting the money. And I'm sure with those conditions come also the follow-up to, to with the schools, finding out how the money is actually was used in order to implement uh, the program. So absolutely, always you will hear schools saying, we need more money. We don't have money, enough money in education. We have too much money in education, and I'm sorry that I'm saying it that way, there is a lot of money in education. And when you look at uh, comparative studies of how much money is spent per child in the United States compared to other countries, even Western countries, that by the way, are doing so much better on the international comparison uh, in terms of their proficiency in math, science, and language. 
uh, it's amazing. And you look also here within the United States, comparing how much money it costs to educate a child in public school versus private school that get much better results uh, with the children as uh, the public school. Uh, it's mind boggling. And this is because uh, of how much money is really gets to the child. It's the same as in social welfare and other government program. How much money is really get to the people that it was intended to serve? There was a study uh, was done uh, about the growth in public school between 1950 and 2015. The growth in the number of students during that period of time was 100%. So basically school doubled their size. Uh, I mean, the number of students in public school doubled their size. At the same period, the number of teacher has grown by 243%. However, the number of administrators and related staff grew by 703%. So the money really doesn't go to the student. It doesn't end up with the student. It's a bloated administration that sucks up the money from the system. So you're saying it's mostly it's, it's spent on um, having more administrators and overhead? Absolutely. And hiring all those outside trainers that are becoming millionaires because of the amount of uh, money that they're giving them. Uh, did you know that, for example, in many states, uh, and I have some specific, if we take, for example, Kentucky, uh, our chapter leader there told us about a year ago that the average salary of a teacher there was uh, $50,000. And by the way, she was a veteran teacher. She, she taught for 20 years. So mm -hmm. she's familiar because she was a teacher. Uh, and uh, the person they hired for DI at the school. That's, diversity, that's diversity. Uh, yeah, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. The person that came to implement CRT and to train teachers, the person earned $150,000. So the teacher that actually providing the direct teaching and learning for the student will earn the $50,000 a year. However, the administrator, you want to call it a trainer, it is an administrator. They are earning $150,000 a year. So and that's not the only state, by the way. So who's paying for that type of position? Is it actually coming out of the budget of the Department of Education for that county? Or is it coming from outside groups? Uh, both. When you say outside group, I'm talking about taxpayers, either the federal government or the state government. So it is outside in that sense, but it's not. It's the same so pocket. It's not, it's not, pocket. So it's not being paid for by source. Well, uh, no, I don't think particularly the money that goes in that way to school. Source makes sure that his uh, groups out there are electing people that will approve this kind of funding, that will promote those kind of funding, and that also that they are not going to be, uh, you know, um, uh, suing anybody or, you know, that are violating certain laws. So George Soros is in a position of getting people into offices that are going to foster this kind of funding. He's very, I always say that he's a very smart investor because he doesn't have to invest a lot of money to elect attorney generals or some uh, legislators relative to how much money they end up dipping into our pocket, the taxpayer pocket, to use to promote their agenda and their politics. 
So in the, in the two years that you've been into this movement and you've started the No Left Turn in Education, what has been your biggest surprise? Um, the biggest surprise, first and foremost, how people are afraid to speak up, to defend mm -hmm. their children. That's, mm -hmm. in fact, why I got up and started speaking up, because when I realized after the violent summer of 2020, mm -hmm. that it was very obvious, they wouldn't stop at nothing. They're our, after our life, they're after our, uh, you know, the values that we are were raised on this country. They're after our freedoms, our basic freedoms. They literally stop at nothing. And they're violent, physical, verbal. And the cancel culture was so strong. It blew my mind that when people realize that they need to protect their children and they're not doing it. That's what really shocked me more than anything else. Uh, and I think, again, my background is Jewish and uh, grew up in Israel. And I know the history of my people. And I know that they could not even hide in the ghettos. Mm -hmm. And that's what I said. What are you going to do those people? They're going to hide with their children in the ghetto? They're going to break the walls. They're going to take them anyways. I mean, it was very obvious. And so I was asking myself, at what point people will understand that they have to protect the children and their family and their country. It was very obvious this is going to be bygone. So when you when you first became active in this, what was the what was the the tipping point when you said, "Wow, this is a big war"? That you attacked? Were you verbally attacked when you spoke up? Oh, absolutely! I uh, before I even launched the movement, that's what made me actually launch the movement. When I sent my letter to the superintendent and the school board and I was ignored and then I posted it on the parents' Facebook page of the school and I was viciously attacked. In fact, I really felt like I'm being lynched in the town square and uh, nobody got up to say, you know, she has a right to speak her mind or to, to ask for a discussion. Nobody. Only privately people were sending me message of support, but publicly I was lynched. And that was really uh, surprised me uh, how fearful people were just to speak up and voice their opinion. So, yeah, I was personally attacked. But, you know, uh, and I said that to my kids all the time because, you know, kids get bullied and mm -hmm. kids bet and people call them names and people do all sort of, sort of stuff. And I tell them, okay, this person called you this name. Are you this? And he said, no. So I said, what do you care? Mm -hmm. What do you mm -hmm. care? So as Israeli, we were called Nazis. We were called apartheid said. We were said that we were poisoning the water that the Palestinian kids drink. Not that we are actually saving their life. They're getting the medical treatment in Israel and all sorts of things. They, called, they told us all those lies. So what are we going to do exactly? Hide? Or... Okay what so they called me the names but i know i'm not and i know that they're intimidating me but uh that's why i as i said because of my history i felt that the only way to handle it is by fighting it by confronting it not let them intimidate us because i knew i know what happened in the holocaust i know and unfortunately they're not teaching it at school uh, there are very few states. I think it's only 19 states that have Holocaust curriculum. 
but you know that they watered it down in such a way that they are really not teaching Holocaust at all. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, but this is something that I think very fundamental to understand what happened to the psyche of this country. And also, you have, you know what, you have to remember, at the same time we had the COVID and it blew my mind how people are resigned to the government power. People told them to do X and they did it. People told them to put masks, to hunker down, to hide, not to go out of the, the house. And people followed like in a, a communist regime. So all this happened at the same time. So we have to understand that's really all working on the psyche of the population. And have your have your children had any pushback because their mother is so outspoken? Um, I pulled them out of the school, so they did not confront them, and I put them in a private school. Mm -hmm. And in that private school, uh, they had from a teacher actually. My son had it from a teacher. And that's a religious Jewish school, in fact. And I was surprised because I expected different kind of, you know, uh, approach. Right. Particularly uh, as Jews, our tradition is to question and question. Our mm -hmm. Bible has been dissected in endless number of ways over the centuries. And here my son in uh, fifth grade and sixth grade, uh, they learned about slavery. This past year, for example. He learned about slavery and he asked the teacher a question and the teacher told him, you know, because you're conservative, you're asking this question. I'm liberal. I'm a Democrat. Oh, wow. So I don't ask this question. And this is in front of other kids. So that was that was to oh, you know that he's a conservative. Well, I mean, what does a child know about politics? In the exactly. Right. He, we taught our kids to ask questions. That's the way you learn. That's the way you develop critical thinking. Mm -hmm. But for her, she already labeled him. A kid that asked the question and challenged the teacher, you label. He was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. But we at home support them. Another teacher, uh, uh, actually that's, uh, I think it was the same teacher. She spent at least 10 classes talking about Greta Thunberg and uh, showing her video that was done on PBS and et cetera, et cetera. My son at that time was with COVID at home. So we also were able to absorb uh, some of the classes. And in fact, we taped them, uh, the instruction. So uh, he, uh, you know, he knows that we think differently and he knows that we like to inquire. So he watched the video by uh, the Dennis Prager, the five minute video Dennis Prager put uh, by the professor from MIT, 30 year professor, uh, a scholar, uh, a top figure in the field. And uh, he wrote her a message. We encouraged him to have a dialogue. So he wrote her a message and said to her, um, you know, there's another point of view about the, the subject. And maybe we should introduce it in class to students. And he sent her the link to the video. So she immediately sent him an email, basically saying, you know, you should have reliable sources. Dennis Prager is not a reliable source. But Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old that has been manipulated and used, a sick girl, 
that I feel that she has been abused, in fact, a sick girl that has been manipulated and being used by people with an agenda is a reliable source. And they spend more than 10 classes uh, discussing her. But, uh, you know, but uh, a professor from MIT, 30 year professor and a, a, a reliable figure, a scientific figure is unreliable source. So this is the kind of thing that, you know, and it's challenging. So my son is hesitant. They were hesitant to voice, uh, you know, a different opinion. But we do encourage them because it is very important to develop critical thinking, to learn from different perspectives, right. issues, and develop your own ideas. But they are labeled. And the ki other kids, so the, he was teased by other kids. So if you don't agree with your teacher, you basically are going to be ostracized or ashamed oh, yeah. or, you know, you know labeled. labeled. So that, that's part of what's going on. What are some of the successes you have seen? Because there's so much money that's being poured into the critical race theory and the sexual indoctrination of very young children in the public schools today. And the government, you know, the taxpayers are paying for this. What, what, what have you seen just in terms of the body of your work over the last two and a half years that you would say it's a success in your product? It, it is incredible. So uh, it's in many places around the country, different kind of successes uh, around the country. Uh, give you an example, for example, from uh, uh, Rhode Island. You know, Rhode Island and Massachusetts were the only states that still had a law in the book that... Uh, uh, Teachers uh, can have sexual relationship with the children that's 14 years old and older? Well, they, they <laughs> hold on for a second. They, they, um, they can't have, you, no, the, the, I don't think that that's actually true, that they can have sex with kids who are minors. Well, check the law. However, our chapter leader in Rhode Island with collaboration uh, with, uh, uh, she actually was the big uh, engine on changing it in legislation this about the, between a month to two months ago. I think it's between a month to two months ago. She worked with another organization that started it years ago, but this time she focused on it and I can share with you later on the details, what she did. She was relentless. And just about, I think last week, the celebrated, the signing of the bill that probably well, what wasn't wasn't the nuance and I mean if you if you're 17 and you have sex with a 14 year old there's a difference than if you're 20 35 with a 14 year old we are talking about uh, school staff that can have sexual relationship with a uh, uh, student that are 14 and older Massachusetts still have that law in the book now, Rhode Massachusetts remain now the only state. So this is, for example, part of our work of uh, what we did in Rhode Island. Another one, I'll give you example in North Carolina. So our chapter president, Dr. Nancy Anderson, she discovered through a lot of open record requests that in fact, they're channeling money through the University of North Carolina to provide, it's over $7 million to provide training to preschool teachers for special 
uh, a special education kid to provide training on CRT. The staff to a, denied- to a, to a child who's mentally challenged or just physically? Uh, uh, to children that are uh, special education children, three to five year old, special, three to five year old special education children. And she got, she wrote a document that you can see it on our website uh, under, I think it's under about and NLTE exposes or reports, NLT reports. So her report, 200, over 200 pages, have pictures of all, a lot of the document that she uncovered from the right to know. She plowed through at least 7,000 pages. What did she conclude? Uh, that they are lying in straight face to parents, that they are not doing it. And as a result of exposing it, and it got very nice coverage in the media, they stopped it. They stopped it. They're just now having a bill now to not allocate the money to the University of North Carolina, that particular program that was supposed to do the training. They will do uh, in-house uh, training, but it's not clear. We're going to continue follow to make sure that the kind who, of training... Who gave the money to the University of North Carolina who then gave it to the schools? This is from the uh, uh, superintendent of public instruction office, the state superintendent of public instruction. So are these taxpayers' monies? Or yes. Is, is yes. It, is yes. It a, why did they go through the University of North Carolina? Were they doing a study? They work with them to get, they work with them. They collaborate with them. So they're trying to, and you know what? I don't know the political connection there. That's another thing that- It doesn't have to be politics. It's always no. about the money because the money doesn't matter whether you're Democrat, Libertarian, or, or conservative. But but why would the school superintendent in North Carolina go through a university to implement a program in public schools? They work with them. They work with them. That's it. They have well, why, why work with the, is that because- they were go going to actually do a study at the University of North Carolina. Were they I won't be surprised. Were they, commodify were they commodifying the children for a study? Uh, this, this, I can be happy to have you uh, connect directly with our Dr. Nancy Anderson, the president chapter, to give you more details. Uh, you know, yeah. I cannot get into the whole the details with each case, but uh, she'll give you, uh, you know, thorough details about that. And you might even find it on the report that she put online on our website because tell, she tell the audience, tell the audience, Alana, how, where your website is. Our website is noleftturn.us. And there you can find a wealth of information on what we expose in school, as well as information to inform you of what has been done. And now we are putting more and more information to help you, um, find alternatives to what is existing now. Our focus is going now more and more toward solutions and what parents can do. But also you can join us on our uh, website. You can join us. We can connect you with a chapter in your area. And if there isn't a chapter in your area, we can help you build one and support you throughout the process and after. Uh, so you're not alone and we know how to do it. We know how to be effective. Um, and uh, we'll be happy to help you. Alana, you know, when you start a movement, and, and I've been involved in a couple of them. I mean, you know, I took on the Catholic Church, and I also took on, you know, human trafficking, you know, two decades ago. But the, the one thing that I've always found is that, you know, some of the best lessons we all learn is by our initial failures when we start something like this. What's been your disappointment 
I think, you know, when you've been in this for two and a half years, because everybody has them. I mean, but what, what can you tell other people, you know, who, who want to get involved? You mentioned earlier in the interview, you know, don't be afraid to speak out. But what's, what's the first step? If you're a parent at home, you're listening to this, you're seeing that, you know, the school's about to start, people are at the beach, they're talking about the kids going back to school in the climate we're living in right now in America. What do you tell the, the people who say, you know, I, I, I want to get involved, but I don't know what to do? Uh, you know, we wrote the book. We know what to do so we can help you. However, one thing that the people have to understand, when you volunteer, it doesn't mean you have to stop your life and do that full-time job. There is so much to do that we everybody gives whatever they can. Sometimes we have more time. Sometimes we have less time. Sometimes, you know, uh, uh, you find out that you have certain skills mm -hmm. because of your professional background or because things that you like to do. When you work with a chapter, with a group of people, everybody bring to the table what they can. It's like a potluck. You know, you come to a potluck, everybody bring their favorite dish or the dish that everybody likes. And say, the same here. You bring your experience. You bring things that you like to do. And together, that's very key. You are not alone. You are not alone. And working together, everybody bring to the table what you can. For example, I'll give you, you know, there are school board meetings that takes place. Uh, most places, it's once a month. Sometimes it's uh, every other week. But most places, it's once a month. Even going with people and sitting there in the meeting, wearing our T-shirt, no left turn, so people know that you are one of the group. Coming there and sitting, even if you don't want to speak, but somebody else from the group will speak. But they will see that there are 100 people there, not one person speaking to a school board. That's a different message. Or when we go and uh, write letters to our legislators and raising our concern about certain bills that are going to be uh, you know, presented uh, for vote, write a letter. We give you a template. And just write a letter. It's the things that you can do from home that you don't have to leave home. I have a teacher, for example, that every few weeks send me uh, a blog to post on our blogger. So uh, we accept most of them, only the ones that are relevant to the, what we are working on. She right. sends me a blog every few weeks, and most of them end up on our blog. So, you know, there's so much to do. So it doesn't mean that if you're a volunteer, you're going to go run in the street and with signs every week to, and rally. No. You know, we do events, we do conferences, and we do workshops. Maybe you can help with just coming and setting up the table. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. do want to do more, you want to write, you want to speak, you want to present, you want to, uh, you know, there's so much to do. The other thing is that uh, I really say that it's our Achilles heel. Uh, is, uh, in fact, uh, funding. And that's what uh, surprised me. Uh, you know, there, I'm aware there are now more organizations, but not everybody are the fighters on the street. Mm -hmm. People have to understand that the fight now, this is a fight. We cannot look at it at any other way. This is a war for our survival, for the kind of future our nation will have. Are we going to be still the... Uh, uh, in shining city uh, on a hill uh, or not? Are we going to be uh, going Marxist uh, route? So what are we going to be? And that's what we are really, you know, many people call it a war, a cultural war 
or they call it a constitutional war. Honestly, this is a war of survival, to survive as a free, thriving nation. And, and, for, the, and for the protection of the children. Absolutely, because they are the future. They are our leaders. Whatever we indoctrinate them with now will impact the kind of country we're going to have and the kind of life we're going to have. Are we going to turn into another China or Cuba? Or are we going to continue to be the country that people are risking their life and the life of the children to come to this country? So this is really here what I found amazing that still many donors believe that the fight is in the think tanks. They believe that the fight is writing another, I don't know, seminar or whatever, where actually we have to know how to fight, quote unquote, on the street, like the Democrats. Well, and when you when you say fight on the streets, let's just be certain we're not we're not talking about the the, the fighting that we saw in 2020. What you're talking Absolutely. about what you're what you're talking about is taking on the school boards, taking exactly. on the Department of Education, taking exactly. on the money machine that's being thrown at this. Absolutely, when I said because the, the street now or the war theater is not in, you know, in comfortable, uh, you know, kind of um, offices that you're writing, seeing a writing article. It's very important. This is very important. However, you have to go to confront the people. Absolutely, we are not. We are low-biting. We love our law enforcement. We respect law enforcement. And also, we have a code of conduct when we go even speak at school board meeting, or we meet with legislators, governors, attorney general, we have a code of conduct that we are very careful to follow. Uh, so uh, when I went talk the street, meaning where actually the fight is going on, like the school board, going to school board, going to the legislator, meeting with them. And in fact, uh, we are uh, actually um, educating the public so they will know when people are running for offices, we don't tell them whom to vote for. We are 501c3. However, we provide them with so much information. Even we give them a list of questions to ask candidates who are running for school board, who are running for state legislators, and find out what their position on those critical issues that are infiltrating our, our schools. Uh, so this is the kind of thing that uh, I think that surprised me. Uh, that there is no more support to our soldiers. We are the soldiers. Mm -hmm. We have we're putting our own, uh, you know, the uniform and running to all those meetings and you know meeting with all those people in order to make an impact. Uh, in for example, now when we went to Georgia to one of the school board meeting and we contested the sexual uh, explicit material, the school board ended up meeting with our people and now they're working together on a process to how to approve books that end up in the library. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's what I, this is the street. That's what I mean by right. we are going there, meeting and trying to work out solutions. Okay, so Alana, before we close out, tell the audience again, where can they find your website? Repeat that again. Our website is noleftturn.us. And there, as I said, you can find a lot of information, including if, uh, you might be generous and try to support us. Uh, we have a donate button. You can do it uh, with PayPal uh, and uh, credit card, preferably checks, so we don't have to pay those big techs the uh, percentage. 
but uh, we'd appreciate uh, any contribution so our soldiers can still do the work for you. You know, I understand not everybody uh, can do it. Not everybody can uh, fight. Uh, but at the same time, we have to support the troops. And that's why if you cannot volunteer, we'd be happy if you volunteer. But if you cannot, we'd appreciate any contribution to the war effort. Lana, thank you very much. God bless you and the people protecting the children. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to bring our message to the wider public.